Appreciate the thoughtful, excellent way these men have led us in worship already. You're thinking about the theme that we're emphasizing today. I appreciate that so much. I'm glad you're here. Hope you're having a really good weekend. Looking forward to the day with you all. And I am excited about this afternoon. I'm excited about this moment where we get to worship. And we got to take communion together and celebrate what God has done for us through Christ. We believe a lot of things, you know. And I think God wants us to believe a lot of things. He wants to believe certain specific things. Back in Deuteronomy 6, one of the pivotal texts of Scripture, God, uh, through Moses, shared with the people of Israel, this is what you need to believe about me. Hear, O Israel. There's one God, one Lord, one God. That was a very important part of the Jewish faith, one of the very important parts of our faith, that we believe in one God. You know, it's that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big deal. And I think James is alluding to that in our text this morning, talking about the one God. We believe certain things to be true. We believe there are things about God, about Jesus, about the Spirit of God. We believe certain things about Scripture. We believe, I mean, there are, there are a list of things we believe, in, and, and I think those things matter, you know. It matters what we believe. James, though, had a little bit of a problem with some of the people in the community of believers to, to whom he was writing. He, he had a problem with them. There were some things going on in that church, in that community, that weren't right. They weren't what they should have been. And, and I don't, it doesn't seem to me that he had a problem with them, what, what we would call theologically, uh, like doctrinally. He didn't, he didn't seem to have a problem with what they believed. If they had a church website, I don't think James disagreed with the things that they put on their What We Believe page of their website. I don't think they had a problem with that. They believe, we believe in the one God, we believe in Jesus' Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the church, we believe in the inspiration and trustworthiness of Scripture, we believe in whatever, you know, list of things. We've got one on our website. I don't think James disagreed with what they had on their website, per se. But he had a problem with something else, you know, you go back in our text, go back in James, uh, what, he, what he writes, and I appreciate Harold's doing that this morning in, in, his, in his thoughts. Go back to chapter, chapter 1. You know, he talks about faith and his role in leading, or uh, trials in, in their role in leading to a consistent, steadfast kind of faith. He talks about that in James 1. He talks in James 2, which, which I think also has, the first part of James 2, has something to do with what we're reading about this morning. And in that part, he says... You know, you got, you got these people who come into your assembly, your, your gathering to worship, and you got folks coming there with a nice suit and tie on, and you say to them, oh, we got a good seat for you, friend, right up front, or maybe in the back, as the case may be, wherever. We got a good seat for you. Then somebody else comes in in poor clothing, shabby clothing. Well... We don't actually have a seat for you, but you can maybe, I don't know, sit over there against the wall, maybe. You'll, you'll be okay there. James, though he didn't disagree with them, what we would call doctrinally or theologically, they believed the right things. He had a problem with the way that translated into right living. Churches of Christ have made a big deal out of what we believe. I don't disagree with that, by the way. This is what we believe. This is our, this is our creed. Uh, the, the, all, the, all the word creed means is what you believe. We have a creed. We have a creed. And that creed is 
what we believe about Christ, you know, what we believe about the church and salvation, God's nature and the Holy Spirit and so on. And so that's been very important to us, this, this, this set of, of, of doctrinal convictions. It's united us as a family of believers, but, but God cares about more than that. I mean, I know everybody in this room knows that. We, we know that intellectually, that God, God cares about more than that. But maybe we, like James's community, we need to be reminded of that. And James 2 does that for us. James 2 says to us, it not only matters what you believe. In fact, James, in this text at least, isn't so much concerned about that. I think he had those assumptions. He already knew what they believed. And I have a problem with that. His problem was, you guys aren't living it. And he points out one specific way. They had these, I think he's probably alluding back to the first part of the chapter, where they were treating people differently based on their socioeconomic status. Rich folks treat this way. Poor folks will treat you like this. And then he goes on in our text, and he elaborates on that in this pretty famous text. You know, the faith without works is dead text. We'll get to the end of, near the end of the sermon where, where we talk about how this text is in tension with or is, is, needs to be read in light of what we read from Paul, for example, when he talks about salvation by grace. But James is dealing with something different here. He's dealing with people who were trusting in what they believed and they didn't understand or, or at least they didn't do it didn't, they didn't act consistently with an understanding that said they believed that it also mattered what you did, your deeds, your works, you know. So look at our text with me this morning. James 2, uh, our text goes from verse 14 through the end of the chapter where, where James says, he starts with some, some questions that he's going to answer for us. And he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. So he asks these questions here in the first part of this, introducing this, this, uh, this I don't know, expansion of what he's just been talking to them about treating people differently based on socioeconomic things. He says, Suppose you've got somebody in your family of believers. You've got somebody in the church. He's talking about their community. Now, Bible talks elsewhere about how we ought to engage those who aren't a part of the body. But here he's talking probably primarily about people in the church. You've got somebody who doesn't have adequate clothing. You've got somebody who doesn't have adequate food. And I know the answer to this based on my experience with this church. And I know the answer of this church would be, we're going to do what we can to make sure you got clothes. Well, last Sunday, you know, we clothed, we gave clothing to People in our church and people outside in the community. I think that's what a church ought to be. We gave food last Sunday. We give food regularly to people in our church and outside of our church in our community. James, I, and to be honest, I don't, I don't think this part of the text James would say to most people in this, in this church. I, don't, I really don't think, I, I don't think that, because I think people in this church, for the most part, we know this connection. Maybe we, we don't always live up to it as well as we should, you know. That's true of all of us, right? But James is, James is talking to people who somehow they had been able to, to, to disconnect a statement about what they believed and, and what they did, and they would say to somebody, hey, you know what? I know you don't have clothing, and I know you don't have food. Four quick imperatives in verse 16. 
Go in peace, be warm and filled. It's actually in the Greek text, it's, it's, it is four. It comes through in English as, as, as three, but it's just very, very quick. Go in peace, be warm. Get you some food. <laughs> it's just, you know, just, hey, uh, good luck with that. That's, that's kind of the way he does it. I know you don't have any food. I know you don't have any clothing. Man, I wish the best for you. I know I got all this extra clothing. I know I got all this extra food and water back here, but man, good luck with your situation. I really commiserate with you. I'm really concerned about you. Good luck. See ya. That's, that's, I don't know if James is exaggerating, if they were actually saying this, or if he's just kind of taking their thinking to its logical conclusion. You got things you believe, and you got things you know you ought to be doing and you're not. But he says, in effect, there's this great disconnect between what you believe. He expands on it in verse 18. When he says, uh, someone will say, so he's, he sets up this probably hypothetical kind of, kind of debate or discussion. Someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You see what he's, he's expanding this thought and he's saying, okay, let's, let's have a conversation. Somebody wants to say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So, so there's this, it's a little bit confusing here, the way James words this. But he seems to be setting two people in opposition to one another, maybe exaggerating a little bit for point of emphasis. But he, but he says, somebody might say, well, I have faith. And then this other person over here says, well, I have works. And James is saying the person who says he or she has faith but doesn't demonstrate that faith in what he or she does doesn't actually have faith. Whereas the person over here who says, I have works, can't say I have works separate and apart from the faith that motivates those works. Consistent with, with James's reasoning throughout this text, he seems to be saying, I know he's saying this, at the very least, that faith isn't real faith if you don't do it. Faith isn't real faith if that faith doesn't act, if it doesn't, if it's not seen in what we do. And so he, he alludes to that Deuteronomy 6 thing, verse 19. You believe that God is one? I mean, that was a very important part of their faith and our faith. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Spirit. We believe one God. It's a very important part of our confession of faith. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. It's made clearer in the New Testament. But, but he says, you believe that. Okay, so you say the Shema. You, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You, you say that. You believe that. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. The demons are monotheists. That's what James says here. Even the demons are monotheists. Don't think that because you got this list of doctrines right, that that is the sum total of what it means to be a Christian, right? You got this, this thing. You believe, you're monotheist. Great. I agree with you. You got that in common with even the demons. But that is not what it means to follow Jesus. You do well. Good for you. Even the demons believe. And they're scared. You know, that motivates them in some sense. They're, they're intimidated by that. They're in awe of that. But he said, faith without works is useless. 
And so in, in 17, verses starting in verse 17, going through really the end of our section, he says that basically, you know, true faith leads to deeds. I, re I really like the word deed here a little bit better. That's the way the NIV translates this, rather than works, because I believe James is using the word here differently from the way Paul uses it. When Paul says, when Paul uses the word works, I believe he's talking about something that is qualitatively different from what James is doing here. James, and, and therefore it helps us in English for us to think about James talking about deeds, whereas Paul is condemning a certain kind of trust in works. I'll come back to that in a minute. But he says, he says, was not Abraham our father justified by, I'm going to use the word deeds here, justified by deeds, verse 21, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Faith was active along with his deeds, and faith was completed by his deeds. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You, you, you see that a person is justified by deeds and not by faith on, only or alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by deeds when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith, so also faith apart from deeds is dead. James is saying that there is, there, there's got to be, there must be a completion of, an, ex, an extension of our list of creed sta creedal statements, I believe statements, with I do statements. So what do we believe as a church? That matters. But it also matters what we do. There are churches that have what we would say, what we would agree with on the what we believe side of the website. We would, we would agree with what they teach about, what they believe about the nature of God, about the nature of salvation, about integrity of Scripture, whatever's on that. We would agree with that. Is that a sound church? Is that a healthy church? Could be. Is it a healthy church, a sound church that has all the right doctrinal convictions but doesn't live, doesn't in the life of that community reflect what those creedal statements say about the nature of God and how the nature of God is manifest in the body of Christ? See what James is getting at here, I think? You got people who say certain things but they don't do them. Now, there's some tensions here. I'm going to uh, come, come, back to, come back to what I said a minute ago. You may have heard that there was, uh, you know, Martin Luther, for example. Well, Martin Luther is a great example of this. Who in the Reformation, back in the 1500s, um, Martin Luther was pretty fed up with the religious context of his day. And um, he nailed, you know, the 95 Theses to the church there in Wittenberg, Germany in the early 16th century. He was pretty fed up with a legalistic kind of Christian system that found justification in buying indulgences or, you know, uh, doing all the things associated with Christianity of his day, you know. And he was reacting against that. And, and one of the things that he found in Paul, the apostle, was that we are justified by faith. We're not justified by how much money we give to the church. We're not justified by how many indulgences we buy. We're not justified by how many acts of penance we do or how many 
you know, uh, how many things we carry out, carry out in uh, obedience to the priest, for example. You know, we're not justified by those things. So he saw in Paul, rightly so, that we're justified by grace through faith. But in his mind, he could not reconcile what he read in Paul with James 2. And that's why he called. You may, you may know this, but if you don't, you probably ought to know this. That Martin Luther said, I don't like James. <laughs> he said, it is a right strawy epistle, an epistle of straw. It is, Paul, Paul is heavy and weighty. I agree with Paul. James, not so much. James didn't, uh, Martin Luther didn't like James a whole lot. I think he went too far with that, to be honest. I think, uh, I think Martin Luther had a, had a problem with James that he shouldn't have. I don't believe that, that, they, uh, that they're teaching different things. I don't believe Paul and James were in a fuss. I don't believe James is trying to correct Paul. I don't think Paul's trying to correct James. I think you've got to read them in their context and read what they're responding to and not allow Paul to say, hey, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. And don't read James to say it doesn't matter what you believe. It only matters what you do. You're justified by your works. You don't read them in those kinds of extreme ways. Paul is responding to a, to a kind of, man, there were people who were, who were taking the Jewish faith and they were saying, yeah, you've got to keep all the holidays and you've got to keep all the dietary laws and you've and you got to make sure your, your sons are circumcised only the eighth day. And if you do that, God will justify you. Paul says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? We can't do that. We've been trying to do that for thousands of years and it hadn't worked very well. We're not good law keepers. And if you trust in your obedience to do the works of the law, then you are going to be hopelessly dissatisfied because you know you can't do it. We're justified by what Jesus did on the cross and there is no other place where we're justified. But James was dealing with a group of people who were like at the other end of the spectrum. They seem to be saying, either in what they did or what they actually said, that, hey, you know what? As long as we got it right theologically, it doesn't matter what we do. James says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Are you, do, you, do, you actually, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know what he taught? Jesus said, you'll know somebody by, their, by his fruits, by her fruits. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said there are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord. You know, there, there are going to be people who, who, who make a, a confession of him, but, but their actions didn't match up with that. And Jesus said, those people don't know me. And so James is saying, you cannot say, you cannot say that what you do doesn't matter as long as you got the doctrine right. So Paul and James are dealing with two different things. Using some of the same words, that's why we have a problem with it. That's why I think it may be better to read James using the word deeds so we understand. James isn't saying that you're justified by certain works, that, that you do the right things and you are therefore justified in the doing of them. He is saying, though, that your faith, if it is not an obedient faith, some of this is a matter of semantics, by the way, but... He is saying that your faith, if it's not an obedient faith, is not really faith. Biblical faith is a faith that is a compassionate faith. And so if you've got a church, or if you or I, we say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe in the one God. Yes, I believe in whatever, baptism. I believe in church. You know, I believe in all these things. 
but we don't have compassion. To use James's example here, or we might extend that, and I think we could do so in the context of the Bible, and we could say, we, we, we don't do certain things. We, we, we say, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do sexually. Uh, you know, I'm, I believe in God. I believe in Christ. I believe in the Bible. I'm, I'm a part of a good church. And yeah, yeah I'm, I'm acting out sexually over here, but, you know, God's not that concerned about that. I'm not pursuing holiness. So we may, we may be different from James's group. We may have compassion for folks, but maybe we're not pursuing holiness in this specific part of our lives. I wonder if James might say, you know what? What you believe actually affects that too. So there's Paul and James are dealing with a couple of different things. What about, I've talked about this, grace and works. Paul says we're saved by, is this the way you read it? Paul says we're saved by grace and James says we're saved by works. They're arguing with each other. That's not what, that's not what, that's not what they're doing. Uh, uh, Paul isn't saying your actions don't matter. Paul, can you read Paul like that? Read the book of Romans. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2 as well. But Paul was very concerned about the behavior of the churches he wrote to. He says, you're, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, you're, you're tolerating this guy in your church who's committing fornication. You're tolerating that. Your works matter. He says, you're taking one another to the other court in 1 Corinthians 6. Your actions matter. Paul would never have said that you're saved by grace and therefore what you do doesn't matter. It matters. He would agree with James. There's no, there's no outright contradiction here, but rather different kind of responses based on the people they were writing to. Does Paul say we are free? And James carries on this notion of slavery. Again, this, you don't have this kind of contradiction in what they're saying. I'm going to go back to the text. We'll conclude with this. Here's what I know to be true. I hope you agree with this. The Bible teaches that we are saved wholly by the grace of God. That there is nothing we can do to contribute to that salvation. There's nothing we can do to make God owe us something. <coughs> we can't say, okay, okay, God, let me make you a deal. You provide me salvation and I'll do this and we'll make this great exchange. It's not biblical. Can't do it. We're saved by grace to use Paul, Paul's words, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the way he says it in Ephesians 2. But Paul would never have said, and he didn't say, therefore, what you do doesn't matter. Paul would have said, Paul did say in certain ways, just not quite ex as explicitly as James. Paul would say that you're saved by grace through faith. There is nothing we can contribute to that. It is not an exchange where I give God something and he gives me something. We make a deal. Paul would never say that. But he would say that we are so overwhelmed by the grace of God that we cannot help but live out the implications of that. And in that James sense, that completes our faith. So we believe certain things and as a result... We do certain things. Biblical faith is an obedient faith. Always has been. Always will be. So for us, to, to this church, what do we say? Don't ever think you can earn it. Don't ever think by some semblance of perfect obedience, which you can never do, I can never do, that you will get to a point where God says, okay, I got a passing grade. 
therefore, I'm going to save them. God, it doesn't work that, that way. You and I go back to the cross for our confidence. We look to that, that Friday. We look to that Sunday. We look to that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that is where we draw confidence from because we know that it is there. His perfect record stands in place of ours. But we also understand that because of what He did and our faith in it, we are led. We are always led to demonstrate our faith by living compassionate, holy lives. You cannot, in James or Paul or Jesus, you cannot separate faith from what that faith does in your heart and in your life. That, I think, is what Paul and, and James and every biblical writer, and certainly, especially, in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, trust in Him. You can never earn that. But do what He says. Do what He says. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to make sure that you understand. If you, if you, you know, maybe you're considering Christianity. Maybe you're like just on the fringes and you're thinking, I want to check this thing out and see if it's got any validity to it. What, we would love to talk to you more about that. But, but, but maybe you're looking at it with wonder and confusion. And here's, here's what you need to know just initially. God became a human being. He took on flesh. He lived a sinless life. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was put on a Roman cross. He hung there from Friday afternoon, Friday morning to Friday afternoon, was in the tomb from Friday to Sunday morning, came out of the tomb, and in that act, he declared himself to be the Son of God who gave himself on the cross for your and my sins. And through that action, he frees us from a guilty record and a guilty conscience. And His perfect obedience becomes ours when we trust in Him as our Lord and Savior and we put Him on in the waters of baptism, receiving the gift of God's Spirit and the forgiveness of, God, of, of sins that comes as a free gift from God's grace. That is our invitation and entrance into the kingdom of God. As a result of that, drawing on James here, we live, we try to live, we do it imperfectly, but we try to live our lives as continual expressions of gratitude as we pursue holiness, as we reflect compassion, and as we engage our community and one another in ways that are consistent with the kindness and grace and love of Jesus Christ. If you're ready to become a Christian, we invite you on his behalf today to obey him in baptism. If you need to come back and ask for prayers, you've obeyed the gospel sometime back, but you need to ask for prayers of your church family here. We invite you to ask for those prayers and we'll pray with you. If you need, if your life just isn't what it ought to be, we'll do anything we can to help you. We believe that God is working in this community of faith and we're excited to be a part of it. If you need to respond this morning, we invite you to come. Let's stand and let's sing.